0: God can take lifeless sinners and he can turn them into life-filled disciples of him. God can take people who uh, normally would fight, which is all of us, normally wouldn't get along and normally wouldn't wanna hang out together and and he can cause us to live in unity. That's the promise of the gospel and the, the outflow of that is where the, the church comes out of. It's, 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 it's us as disciples that truly believe that, that actually we, we come together and we make up this incredible thing called the church. And this incredible thing called the church is, is, is transformative. It's not just a place that you come to, uh, to experience great music, although the music was great this morning and is uh, all the time. It's not just a place to come here an inspirational message but it really is a place for us to come together and be unified in love with one another through the gospel because he's made us alive and he causes us to live in unity. And then Paul says at the beginning of chapter three here and as you may know that the chapters weren't there before but that's where they were placed. Uh, through somebody way back historically. Um, but the beginning of chapter three says, for this reason, and for this reason it is there to say like, because of that, because of that deal, this is, what's, this is what's happening in my life and as a result, what God has given me for you. That's what Paul says. And he says, he says really three things there. I'm in prison on behalf of you. And secondly, I have been given a revelation, which I have already spoken about is what he says. And the revelation is the message of the gospel, also called the mystery. And then he says, I have a mission to, to be on as a result. And I just, I just wanna tell you that right now, like if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I just wanna tell you right now, like, like the apostle Paul is suffering on behalf of the Gentiles. He's suffering on behalf of you. And his suffering is the fact that he's in prison. And, and, and how does he do that? Well, it's because he has received a message from God. He's received an incredible message. It's a mystery, and it's just like mind-blowing how it just awakens his soul. And I, and I, I guess the, the question is, is, is your, has your soul been awakened? Has your soul been enlivened by the reality of God working through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken in you, like, boom, man, it it was mysterious before, and now it's totally laid out in front of me, and that is that I can be reconciled to God, and as a result, I can live a new life. Like, that's amazing. But let me tell you why we might reject this or maybe forget it, and it basically comes down to this idea of victimhood. I've talked about it before. But we, we take our world is very passionate about uh, finding victim status. Now, let's, let's be real honest here. There are people who have uh, been victimized. Many, many people. We're not going to deny that this morning. So there's lots of people that have been victimized. But our world is telling us, that, uh, that really, you need to live this life, and Charles Taylor talks about this idea of expressive individualism. That's, what, that's the way our world works today, is that like I, as an individual, need to express myself, and what I'm expressing is that I'm a victim in some way. And so somehow, we have to find a status, we have to find a way to be a victim, and we, and we have to find the, the ability to point the finger at someone else and say, you are why I'm suffering. You have caused me to suffer, and it's wrong, and you need to go to wherever, you need to be canceled, or whatever the thing may be, but you've caused me to suffer. And Christians do this today. We call it religious discrimination, we call it persecution, we call it all those kinds of things. But if we're really good at this, we might even say, you know what? I am, uh, there is purpose in my suffering. You know, I mean, the, the government's against us and culture's against us and all of those things. And so there's purpose in my suffering. Someday I'll see it. And maybe you've experienced that as well. I mean, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that, that that's not true. There is purpose in our suffering. There's, there's purpose sometimes in, in someone who passes away. I have some, some friends in our, in our church network who lost their son just this last week uh, to leukemia. And the thing that I heard over and over again, I, I, I call him a friend, he's more of an acquaintance, but the thing I heard over and over again is that, man, the way that that family handled that was an immense testimony to the world. There's purpose in their suffering. But what we don't often have is suffering on purpose. Suffering on purpose. We're, we're good sometimes with the idea of, well, there's gotta be a purpose in this suffering. Like you can't be a Christian really without that. But what, what we're not good at is suffering on purpose. And the Apostle Paul is suffering on purpose. He is suffering for a reason. And the reason is very clear cut and simple. It's on behalf of you Gentiles. That he has been made a prisoner. And who is he a prisoner of? He's a prisoner of, the, uh, of Rome right there, but it's because the religious leaders had gotten really upset with him, and they were very angry with his message. They were very angry that they think that he had taken Gentiles into the temple. They think that he, that he had actually taken Gentiles into the temple who were not supposed to be in the temple, and so now he's, he is, uh, he is uh, in prison, and, and that's where he's at, and so he's in the midst of this, and he, instead of saying, you know, like, these religious zealots, these religious leaders, this secular government has got me down, What he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he asserts some things there. Some things that are asserted there is that like, like, you can't do something to me that's outside of the will and the plan of God. You can't do it to me outside of that. Like, God is in control of all things. Like, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in there's nothing outside of his plan. And that's hard to hear if something horrific has happened to you. Like, God, you allowed this? But it's also immense, incredible to hear when you realize, you know what? Nothing that I experience right now is outside of God's will and plan. And so the Apostle Paul is saying like, I'm, I'm in here because I've been preaching this message to the Gentiles. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of someone else. I'm a prisoner on behalf of them. And so what's happening here is that the Apostle Paul was just about to go into this prayer. He'll pick it up in verse 14, 13, something like that. 14, I think. He's going to pick it up again, but there's this digression, and he, so he kind of stops himself. He says, for this reason, and then, and then he, he goes on, and he says, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he says, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, what in the world does that mean? It means God has given him grace, and he is a steward of that grace. It's a little bit funny. You can't quite tell. Even commentators kind of split on exactly what it means. What I believe it means is this, is that the Apostle Paul has been given the grace of God, and that he is supposed to start dishing it out. He's supposed to start giving it out. He's just he's just supposed to divvy that out to everyone that he comes into contact with. He says, "Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you." Like it's his story, it's his testimony. It's him saying, "You know, like here it was, I'm walking down this road and then all of a sudden God shines this incredible light and then Jesus speaks to him audibly and says Saul, Saul his name was Saul before it was Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he's like, "What the heck?" And then God calls him to be a minister, like shows him grace, like awakens him like that. And he's he's basically saying, "I think I'm assuming that you've heard my story. I'm assuming that you've heard that like God called me out of persecuting Christians and now he's calling me into leading other people to this mystery that all of a sudden awakened in me. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Like he, he, he's hinting at the mission, at the commission that he's been given right there. But he's saying, like, I did not receive the gospel just for me. I didn't receive the gospel just for my own sake but it's for your sake, on behalf of you Gentiles. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. He may, he may have been talking about the beginning of the letter. He may be talking about other letters that he's written that maybe they've read, we're not sure. But he said, I've, you, you're, you already kind of heard my story. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Look how many times it says mystery. The mystery is, it is like, what is this? It seems completely backwards. That I, through no work of my own, through no ability of my own, like God saves me through Jesus, through his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Like that's, that's the mystery. And the mystery includes the idea of these Gentiles being included. You can perceive this. You can see this in me, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. This mystery is... Like, it has come alive. It has awakened him. Can we just take a second and just ask, has the mystery been revealed to you? Has the mystery been revealed to you? Like, like let's just start at, at, at the beginning. Someone who doesn't have faith has never walked with Jesus, has never had a relationship with God. Like let's, let's just start there for a second. Do you know what the mystery is? Because it doesn't come just on, on your own, with your own ability. Maybe you came into church this morning to say, like, I, I, I feel like I need God, I feel like I need religion, I feel like I need that, that kind of thing, but I'm just trying to get to God, and this is like, the, the mystery is this, is that you don't have to have been raised in a Christian home. You don't have to, like this second, be living a perfect life. You don't have to, uh, in these moments, even desire those things. The mystery is that you can be included in Christ. You can be included, and what does that mean? It means full and complete love, the love of God being expressed to you through the life of Jesus Christ in your place for your sins. Like he becomes the person that instead of you having to die for your sins, he dies for you. Has the mystery been revealed to you? Then the mystery is this, it, aw- it aw- awakens something. It awakens something in people who have been formerly dead and who are now alive. There is there a life about you? moving on to someone that does have faith in some sense or another. Like, uh, like, is it something that has come alive in you in such a way that, that you have come to this point where you just go, man, I, once I didn't know, and now I do know. Is there something that comes alive in you as you go throughout your day and, and, and you think through, man, the grace of God? And I, that's something I've been thinking about recently is just like, God, do I, do I love your gospel? Do I, do, I love the, do I love you? Do I long for you? Do I want you? And, and the, the truth is, is that I don't love him enough. I don't long for him enough. The mystery doesn't like awakening me all the time because I get up and I, and I help take kids to school and then I get going on, on business, on work, and stuff like that, and it's just like, man, there's just so much stuff that's happening that it's just hard for me to come to a place where I'm just contemplating the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy in my daily life. But I wonder what an alive church looks like. An alive church might look like a group of people that have been awakened by the mystery of the gospel and have come to an incredible new place of discipleship with Jesus. We've come to an incredible new place where we, ju- where we just go, man, I, 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 I didn't know this before. And it's like his, his mercies are new every morning and i and i'm continually amazed by him like like that's like that's what i long for that's what i want not just for the church that i lead but also uh, for you and for me and for my kids and, and my wife and and the people that i hang out with is just this awakening i'm longing for it and everything that i read right now says like the church is dead the church has been has been in this place of just consumerism and we thought we were out of it, but we're not. And then people are just going, man, what am I? why am I dealing with all this suffering, all this difficulty? I must have done something wrong and, or something like that. And like, why is this happening? And it's because this is what life is actually like. And maybe we've been living in a dream world this whole time and now we're actually seeing why we need Jesus on a regular basis. But the apostle Paul says, man, I'm assuming that you have heard about the message that I was given, the content of the gospel. I'm assuming that you've heard of the massive transformation that was in my life. I'm assuming that you've experienced me in a way that that shows you that I have grasped onto the mystery of the gospel. I'm assuming that you've experienced that. My question to you is, has your life been interrupted by the gospel the way that the Apostle Paul is interrupted here? Has your life been interrupted on such a level that it it awakens something in you and then you can honestly say to other people or you can honestly assume that the people around you are well aware of how God's grace has affected you? I just want you to ask yourself that. Are people around you well aware of the grace of Jesus Christ in your life? Because here's the thing, you can become a Christian, and let me just tell you, like all of the good business books, all of the best practices when it comes to relationships, all of that stuff, Christian or non, it all comes from Judeo-Christian values. Like you can read the Bible and just become smarter. You can read the Bible and you can become a wiser person. You can read the Bible and become a better employee. You can become a better husband. You can become a better spouse. You can become a better child. You can become a better everything in and through that you can become all those things through that but here is the question can you can can you honestly say that like people can see and they can experience how god's grace has actually affected you can 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 you see that can you expe- can, can they see that in your life have people experienced that in you Like Or they just go, man, I know that that guy is so thankful for this thing called grace from God. I know that he's been affected by that because I see it play out in him, either implicitly or explicitly. Either he or she tells me, or I've experienced grace from them, and I'm understanding where is this reservoir of grace in them. The Apostle Paul says, I am suffering on behalf of, of the Gentiles, of you people, because the mystery, the calling of my life, that message of the gospel has so overtaken me that it has caused me to to live this life in such a way that I could say, I'm assuming that you know about my faith, right? I'm assuming that you've experienced that and it works its way into the mission. See, the message comes and it sends you on mission in such a way that you're willing to not just have purpose and suffering, God doesn't just give you that, you do get that, but that you begin to suffer on purpose. And there are Christian people today who will tell you You shouldn't suffer. That's discrimination against you. You shouldn't have to suffer. This is America. But Paul says, I'm in prison because of, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm a prisoner of that and I am suffering on behalf of You Gentiles. So let me ask you something. How are we, I'll include myself in this, suffering for our neighbors? Has the mystery of the gospel come to you in such a way that you can say, I'm willing to suffer for those around me. I'm willing to give up rights for those around me just so that they can hear the gospel. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think it's something that we have to go to God and prayer about and say, am I willing to suffer for those around me? That's something that we don't think about very often. Is it just a willingness to suffer so that people can hear the message? Now you can sit here and you can feel real bad. And you, you can, like, there's always some measure of, of guilt. There's always some measure of shame. My most shaming sermons are the ones that get comments on it. and and praise God I think I'm I'm am out of that now in the early days especially I was I was a little rough on that you can use shame to convict people so sh- but shame isn't the driving force behind being on mission and suffering for your neighbors shame cannot be the driving force behind that. It has to be that the mystery has been revealed to you. The message is so good that you can say, I'm assuming that you've heard. And so as a result, you're willing to suffer on behalf of your neighbors. You're willing to suffer on behalf of your spouse, on behalf of your your wife, on behalf of your husband. You're willing to suffer on purpose, for the sake of your kids, you're willing to suffer. On purpose, for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ, you're willing to suffer on purpose so that someone else may hear the gospel. The apostle Paul was like, "Yeah, I went to prison, but man, like everybody has heard the message of the gospel simply because I went to jail. Thanks be to God. Like that's that's what he says." And I don't know how many of us are willing. I don't know how willing I am. I don't, I don't know how many of us are willing to experience that. Jesus says over and over again that there's a definition of what a disciple is. He essentially says you cannot be a disciple without suffering on purpose. Look at Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Like Jesus does not mince words. If if family is the biggest thing to you, like over God, you can't be my disciple. Why has He got to be so exclusive? He's God. You you can't. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Self-denial. What's our world telling you? (laughs) Self-expression. Expressive individualism. Express yourself. It says, "It says, don't suffer. If someone makes you suffer, that caused, you're a victim. That's your identity. Now you're a victim." Paul says, "No, no, no, no. That's not. That's not victimhood. I'm suffering on purpose." Luke fourteen twenty seven whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 14.33 So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Like, Jesus is saying, like, discipleship, like if if the mystery of the gospel has exploded in your heart and mind, self-denial is the unequivocal response. It does not mean that you do that perfectly. But what it does mean is this, is that the expectation, the line of where God wants you to aspire to by the power of his Holy Spirit, where you will be someday when you come into glory with God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be there. But what we're aspiring to is sacrifice. It is self-denial. It is denying yourself and actually taking up a cross. It's taking up the instrument of sacrifice. It is carrying the instrument of sacrifice. it's, It's essentially saying this, like, I'm willing, ready, able to sacrifice for my God and king. Like that's, that's what we don't talk about very much. But what it comes down to is that in the midst of your relational struggles, in the midst of all of the things that you have going on, like the, the battles in your marriage, the, the battle with your friends, the, what, whatever it is, A disciple is somebody who denies self in the midst of that argument. And it's hard. It's so hard. A disciple is someone who sacrifices for a friend, who gives himself or herself up for a friend. A disciple is somebody who is willing on behalf of other people to lay down their rights to lay down what they believe they deserve. A disciple is somebody who's willing to live for one another for the sake of the gospel. If the message of the gospel, that mystery has been revealed to you, it sends you on mission. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us. How does this happen? The love of Christ controls us. I think that word control is is really hard to translate from the original language. And what happens there is is that it could say control or it could also say compel. It, it It could say it like propels. Like the love of Christ, the mystery of the gospel has come to me on such a level that it is propelling me it is propelling me so so like when we are sitting here singing the song come holy spirit move in power like move in my life like we're not singing that because we think it's a good song which we do think but we're singing that song because we want to collectively as a church be singing the same words and saying like lord the only way that i move is by the power of your spirit the only way that I can actually deny myself is if you cause it to happen because the only thing I'm about is self. And that's what it says here in Second Corinthians. For the love of tra- Christ compels us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and have died, and, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, for their victimhood, for their status as a sufferer or whatever, that they would no longer live for themselves, for their sexuality, for their profit, for anything else, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It is like, it is the love of Christ is driving me away from self and into self-denial, and it's for other people. And then it says, in verse 18 of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Like, like, the love of Christ comes into my life, it transforms me, it explodes in my mind, and what happens is, is as a result, I say, other people have gotta hear about the mystery of the gospel that nobody understands. That nobody gets. Because they all think that they have to work for it. They all think I wasn't raised in the right family. They all think, oh man, I'd never be accepted by God in in the relationships or in the the way of life that I live right now or, or what my mind is doing. They all think that. And the mystery of the gospel comes in and says, you can be included in Christ. The love of Christ has come to me, it has caused me to realize, at the very core of my being, that I am loved. Do you know that everything that we do is ultimately about getting love? It's ultimately about, like, I want to feel loved to my core. And every time you pick up something, uh, and it may be a good thing, that you turn into a God thing, and then it's an idol, and you just go, yes, this will fulfill me. This will cause me to feel like I have true love because... I preach well and I lead a, a good church and I'm growing so I get respect from my uh, fellow pastor peers and so therefore, now I'm loved because they think I know what I'm doing and so I can help them know what they're doing and so that's how I get love. You see, how, you see what I just did there? That's my problem. That's my problem. I, I, I get I get so distracted. I get so distracted. I get distracted from this, that I desire love. I desire, res- I call it respect, but it's really, lo- I just want people to love me. And if I'm not careful, I will keep doing that and keep doing that, and it will be nothing about the glory of God, and it will be everything about Matt Porter and him feeling loved by anybody but God. That's what it is. What's it for you? What's it for you? Who do you have to have love from in spite of what God says? What, I mean, it can even be from a spouse. Like to hold the love of a spouse above the love of God, the love of Christ compels us. The mystery of the gospel sends us on mission. It's what sends love, even the love of a spouse. You you can desire love for your kids beyond what God would even call you to. You you make your kids a God. And you say, I just want them to love me. And so what, what does it lead you to do? I wanna be loved. And so as a result, my child says that they don't want a bedtime. Are they, that they don't want restrictions. That they, that they don't want to be uh, reprimanded for, for various things. And so I'm like, I want to be loved, and that's what they want, and so I want them to love me, so I'm going to give that to them. Well, guess guess what happens? When I've put my child's love of me over God's love for me, now all of a sudden, my child isn't being led in the, in the ways of God, in the ways of just being a decent human being getting enough sleep for the next day or whatever it is. That's what our world is doing right now. You wanna know why there's 50 million kids in our, in our school district that are uh, cussing out the teacher, walking out of class, whatever. You know how I know that? My kids are in public school. You know why that's happening? Parents just wanna be loved. You put the love of your child over God, and guess what you get? You get dysfunction and that's what it's going to. That's what it is, that's where we are. If anyone does not hate their father, mother, their child, whatever it is, you see what Jesus said? They can, if, if, you're not, if you're unwilling, you can't be my disciple because a disciple is somebody who says, the love of Christ controls me. The love of tri- Christ compels me. The mystery of the gospel has impassioned me so much. And so what do we do? We suffer on purpose. How do we suffer on purpose? You just have to be willing to do the suffering. Nothing that you do in life of value ever happens without you suffering on some level. You forego something, some type of food, some type of whatever it is, uh, time, you know, vegging out watching TV versus like reading and spending time with the Lord. Time, uh, uh, going to church on Sunday morning versus getting sleep. And nothing that you do of, of value ever comes without sacrifice. So what has to happen is that there has to be sacrifice on purpose. So how are you gonna sacrifice on purpose? The way that Paul is sacrificing on behalf of the Gentiles. It may be that that needs to make it into your finances or you suffer on purpose through your finances. And you're, you're gonna suffer one way or the other. We're going into some financial disarray here that's, uh, that's gonna be tough, obviously. We see that in the gas prices and infl- inflation. But how are you gonna suffer on purpose in that? How are you gonna suffer on purpose in your sexuality? How, how, how are you gonna forego everything that the world offers to you because, because you feel like you're not loved by your spouse, and so you go to s- someone else? you want to feel loved? Do you want to feel like whatever, whatever it is? How are you going to forego that? How are you going to forego your, your longings and your desires even if you're not thinking about an affair in your, in your marriage? It's suffering on purpose. It's doing things that you don't want to do, which is completely antithetical to the gospel. It's, it's like, or, or I'm sorry, to the world. It's com- completely antithetical. Like you don't want to be in it, get out of it. Whatever you want to do, just do it. The Bible says very clearly that that the way of the world is not the way that we are to be transformed. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says in Romans 12. Like, how are you going to suffer on purpose? It's not gonna be because I told you to do it. It's not. It's not gonna be because you made up your mind that you're going to. It's it's gonna be something else. And that is that we need the power of God. We need the power of God to come into our lives and we need him to transform us. It doesn't mean that we, we don't need to put some effort into that. If you're a disciple, deny yourself. That's effort. Deny something. And what do you need to deny? Being too busy. Spending too much time on your phone, on your device, on, on TV, on whatever it is. Maybe It may be spending too much time on work, maybe staying up too late so that you can't um, take time to actually think through your life, to think through your priorities in life. I'm, I'm doing this right now and I feel like I'm, I haven't done it in a long time where it's like, man, I just feel like my priorities are out of whack. I have too many things going on, and they, uh, almost all of them are God things. Like I do stuff with our church network, I do stuff with, with our church, I do stuff with my family, and I, and I have all of these things that are happening, and, and then I'm just like, man, I, I, I need to reorganize my life, and I need to look at like, what are the priorities in my life. And even the things that look like God things, like are there things in that, like in in ministry or in, in, in my church that actually need to be cut out so that I can actually take time? And I mean like no distractions, like zero, nothing. Like just sit there with God and just go like, what are my priorities in my life? Is my priority to get closer to God, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to regularly be about him and about his about him. And it, and it may just be that you just spend that time just in prayer and listening. Just in prayer and listening. Listening to God through his word, listening to God just by, by sitting and just going, God, would you just bring to mind the things that need to be cut out? Would you just bring to mind the things that need to stop? Would you bring to mind the things that need to start? Would you bring to mind the areas where I can begin to deny myself? what kinds of things can i cut out like guys like like if we're unwilling to pick up the cross we can't be his disciple we're unwilling to forego those other things. Like there's a lack of discipleship there. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not church attenders. Not people who are nice. Not people who are Republicans. Not people who are anything other than make sure that the people that you're leading become disciples. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's obedience to God that we're talking about here. It is suffering on purpose. And yes, it calls you to suffer. Do you know what you signed up for? The rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus, says, I'll follow you wherever you go, or something, I think I'm mixing up a couple stories. I have it written down, I'm not gonna look at it right now. but And Jesus says, go sell everything you have, and then come back. And the guy walks away sad, Don't walk away sad. Don't walk away sad because you're unwilling to give up that one thing. You probably already know what it is and it's probably not just one thing. Last thing, can we see the true victim? Jesus is the true victim. And you and I are the victimizer. He's the only one that can claim victim status. And he says it wasn't victimhood. It was (laughs) self-sacrifice. Jesus says, I ain't taking that that victim label. Guess what, you shouldn't either, by the way. Jesus says, I'm not taking that. He says in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who lays his life down for his people. He laid down his rights. He denied himself. He suffered on purpose so that you could live a new life that has been empowered by the mystery of the gospel in such a way that you wanna go and tell your friends and then you can say, to one of your buddies, hey, I'm assuming that you already know about my transformation because of what I've, I've told you about the gospel before. I'm assuming that you know about that because you've already been speaking with your life. You've already done the self-denial thing and you continually do it. And then you have an opportunity to share the gospel and you can say, hey man, the reason why your life is in turmoil, the reason why you can't stand yourself, the reason why your marriages keep falling apart, the reason why, the reason why, the reason why is this, is that you've been loving yourself for way too long. The only way to get through that is to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. And he offers that free of charge. His love will compel you. It will compel you to deny yourself. And then when you get the love from the truly, from the the true God, the true and the living God, it can transform your life. It's the love that you've always been waiting for. It's the door that you've been knocking on all of your life will open at last. That's what God offers you. So what happens to us as a church? If if you and I don't get this, I think there's a world of hurt ahead of us. If you and I don't understand it, are we doing the church thing? I hope not. I hope we're doing the disciple thing. I, I hope we're, I, I hope that that's where we're at. And, I, and I, I just gotta tell you, as a pastor, like I have no idea how to motivate you. You know why? Because I have no idea how to motivate myself. I, I, I can't make the right program. I don't have a silver bullet for you. That small group that you're in, if you're in a small group, it, it may not be the thing. It may not. Like, there just aren't enough programs. There aren't enough ideas. I just don't know. I don't know what they are. But you know who does? God does. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he can transform us. So I'm, I'm Brandon, uh, Pastor Brandon, and I, is the executive pastor. We were just talking um, just after we got back from a conference and just saying, like, we just, we feel like the main focus that we need to be pushing on right now is that every single one of us can honestly say, like, I'm a disciple of Jesus, which means I didn't just go through a class, but I'm on an ongoing path. And the, the result of that is self-denial and it's telling other people about Jesus. It's not just that, but those are two key markers. Self-denial and telling other people about the mystery of the gospel. That's what we're inviting you to. We're not inviting you to a service. We're inviting you to a relationship to the community of faith that is pointing towards Jesus and saying, man, he is everything to us. Not money, sex, power, anything like that. He is everything to me. And and then, as soon as I just said that, I was just like, I don't know if that's true, man. (laughs) It's the, the accuser, my own mind, says, it's, you haven't done enough. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, even when you haven't done enough. I just, I just want to want to want to want to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and, it, I, and I just, like, God, I know I don't have enough, but you do. It isn't about me. It's, it's about you. Lord, lead me to deny self. Lead me to share the gospel with other people. Lord, allow me to experience the message, the mystery of the gospel in such a way that it it just does something to me where I can't keep my mouth shut. That's what I long for. I hope you long for it as well. Can we go to the Lord's table?